You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Heavenly Father, would you show us your glory this evening? Help us to see Jesus, to see him clearly and to understand our place before him, that we might see who you are and how glorious you are in all creation. We ask this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, I wonder what your worst case scenario is. Uh, If you're anything like me, you might be a little bit of a warrior. I can worry about pretty much anything I set my mind to, which can, you know, usually be very exhausting. I exhaust myself thinking about all the different possibilities that could happen. So a game that I uh, recently... Sorry. I'm going through puberty, apparently. A game that I uh, recently learned to play was Worst Case Scenario, uh, where it's a game that I stole from um, This Is Us, a TV TV show. There's a throg coming coming up out of my throat. And there's no water here. That's right, Worst Case Scenario. Embarrassment in front of everyone. The worst case scenario is you go through puberty in the pulpit and everyone watches you. Anyway, as I was saying, this TV show, This Is Us, uh, they play this game, worst case scenario, where they play out what the worst thing is that could happen in any given situation. Whether it's being humiliated in public, uh, being mugged on the street, being kidnapped. But if you're anything like me, the worst thing that could happen is death, isn't it? Death is clearly the worst thing that could happen in the world. Whether I'm worrying about, you know, submitting the wrong forms so I can become a uh, resident of the United States or worrying about thinking about the right decision for my future, taking the right job. What's the worst that could really happen to me? Well, it's death, isn't it? Well, the bad news is that, try as we may, we're all going to die. Death is as inevitable as taxes. And despite all the advances in technology, all the advances in science, we're still, we still haven't overcome death. We haven't found a cure for death. One day we will cease to live on this earth. So the question for you this evening is, what hope do you have for the future? If death is the bad news, what good news do you cling to? What good news do you, do you have that helps you sleep at night? Well, in our passage of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, Paul explains that the good news of the Christian message is that death is not the end. This is because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And therefore we can have hope that we too also will one day be raised like him from the dead. We have hope that one day we will live in a world where death is no more, where there's no more pain or suffering and where we will be with God perfectly and forever. Our passage of 1 Corinthians comes in the middle of chapter 15 where Paul has been expounding and addressing many questions about the resurrection. In the beginning of this chapter, as we heard last week, he 
outlines the core message of the gospel. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This is the good news of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And throughout this letter, Paul goes at great lengths to expound the the importance of Christ's death for us, that Christ died for our sins. If you remember many moons ago when we looked at chapters 1 and 2, where Paul stresses at great length the centrality of the cross, the centrality of Jesus Christ and him crucified, central to his preaching, it's central to the Christian life. He emphasizes it so much that it it kind of feels weird, a little odd, that he would now spend so much time talking about the resurrection. But the reason why he does so is because the resurrection is also essential to the gospel. In verse 17, Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Although it's through the cross of Jesus Christ that our sins are paid for, if Christ has not been raised, then the cross means nothing. If Christ was not raised, then his claims to be God are false. And he's just another crazy person, another lunatic. And if Christ is not God, then he can't be the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice for our sins. If he has not been raised, then we have no hope of a future resurrection. And our hope is limited to this life. We have no hope of a time where there will be no more pain or suffering. And so the resurrection stands as a vindication of Jesus' death on the cross. It is only if he has been raised from the dead that we know that he is who he claims to be. That our sins are forgiven and that we can have hope of life to come. But it seems like from the first verses of our passage that some of the Corinthians, though they understand that Christ has been raised, they proclaim that, they don't believe that there is a general resurrection or that people rise from the dead in general. And the problem with this is that it's logically incompatible. And it's just not possible to believe that if Christ has been raised, then there is no resurrection of dead people. This is what Paul is trying to correct in the Corinthians' thinking and in our thinking through verses 12 and 18. Through a whole bunch of if-then, if-this-then-that, if-this-then-that statements, Paul explains the consequences of their conclusions. If the Corinthians do believe that the dead can't and won't be raised then the consequence of that is that surely Christ hasn't been raised. And if that is the case, then the apostles' preaching is false. Your faith means nothing. We are still in our sins, and Christians who have died are lost to us. As one theologian put it so concisely, if dead men don't rise then Jesus is still dead. So Paul corrects the Corinthian view of death and he also corrects our thinking. See, there's lots of common views of death and 
in uh, Paul's day, in the Corinthians' time, there was this thought that the soul is immortal, but the body was mortal. And this is called dualism in philosophy. It's a belief that the soul and the body are two separate entities, and though the body may die, the soul will live on. Now, this would have been the dominant worldview of the Corinthian society, and it's built upon this assumption that uh, material things are bad and spiritual things are good. And in this view, the fall wasn't a sinful act of rebellion, but it was a consequence of spiritual things becoming embodied, becoming enfleshed. It was a consequence of the spiritual becoming material. So salvation within this understanding is our souls being uh, rescued out of this physical world, our souls escaping the physical, the material, rising above and transcending this fleshly prison. Now we, we see this in Christianity a lot. It's where we get the idea that heaven will be kind of this uh, floating around in the clouds with uh, disembodied souls living their best life with harps and doves and everything looking white. Or another common belief that rises up out of this is that when, our, that when we die, our souls live on in different bodies. We are reincarnated. We, our souls move from body to body for the rest of eternity, trapped in the brokenness of this world to suffer again and again as each body gives way to death. And our souls continue to be re-enfleshed, reincarnated. And this is not a Christian belief. The Bible never talks in this way. But on the other hand, there's the view that we have no soul, that there is no spiritual realm, there's only the material world, and this is what we call materialism. In this view, death is the end of all things. There's just nothing after death. And this is what Paul kind of mentions in verse 18 when he says, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there's no resurrection, then death is really just the end of everything. So salvation within materialism is just living your best life now, sucking the marrow out of every opportunity you have, seizing each and every day. So there's nothing more to look forward to. There's nothing beyond. And Paul jokes about this in verse 32, which is next week's passage. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. His point being, if there's no resurrection, then we should really stop what we're doing right now and just go out and live our best lives, enjoying this life as it comes to us. Now, this might be a trap that you fall into. It's a trap that I fall into quite often. I lose sight of that life to come. And I put too much weight on the things of this world, trying to get as much enjoyment, as much satisfaction as I can out of this life. I build up expectations of how life is meant to be, trying to find something that will bring me to that point where I just feel at rest and satisfied. If only I had enough money, if only I had the right clothes or the right friends, sorry friends, or the right car, if only I had a bigger house or a better job, if only I got married, if only my children went to college, if only I had grandchildren, 
Then I'll be happy. Then I will be satisfied. The problem is that this world is broken, tainted by sin and death, and there's nothing that will satisfy us in this world. There's nothing that will satisfy my desires. There's not enough money, success, praise, applause from others. None of these things will do. Well, the good news is that death is not the end. Nor will we be reincarnated again and again just to suffer once again. This is because Jesus Christ has been raised. And because of this, we look forward to a time when we will experience life perfectly, when our bodies will be made imperishable, not tainted by sin and death. And we'll be able to enjoy this world as God intended it to be. We'll be able to enjoy that goodness that he talks about in Genesis chapter 1. Look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This resurrection sets off a chain of events, and we see this clearly through verses 23 and 24. It says, But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God. Uh, the kingdom to God, the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. So first, Jesus was raised. Second, we will be raised when he comes again and when he hands over the kingdom to God, the Father. And we're given this series of events, not so that we can go home and get our calendars out, get our weekly planners out and put down the right time of when these things are going to happen, They're not so that we can mark our calendars, but we're given this series of events so we can understand the significance of Jesus' resurrection, that it comes as the first fruits of what is to come for us. Now, I'd like to tell you that I know everything about what it means to have first fruits, but I'm no farmer. I'm a, I'd like to say, a button pusher. I sit in an office all day pushing buttons, typing on my computer, But I have just recently planted an herb garden in my backyard. We planted uh, basil, basil, sweet peppers, cilantro, rosemary and parsley. And we also planted some cherry tomatoes and strawberries and mint and hot peppers. It's been a fascinating experience to understand the growing kind of plan of life, the growing process especially learning how to be patient as we wait for that first fruit to come. Uh, But from our experience, the first fruits gave us hope that the plant was alive. See, I planted these sweet peppers in this small space and I just took all the seeds and I just dumped them in this one spot, just hoping that something might grow. And for months now we've been waiting for this fruit from these sweet peppers to come and we're just waiting and waiting. We almost killed them. Waiting and waiting and waiting. And just these last couple of weeks, we've seen the first fruits of our sweet peppers. We actually picked our first sweet pepper this afternoon. And so this this first fruit from these sweet peppers reminds me or tells me that we haven't failed in gardening. That the the sweet pepper plant is actually not dead. It's, It's alive and we might get some more fruit from it to come. We have hope that there's going to be more fruit coming from this plant because we know it's not dead. It's actually producing something. 
Now this is the hope of the resurrection, that because Christ has been raised, we have hope that those who belong to him will also be raised. We can see that there's more coming. Here's the first fruits of our resurrection. We get a glimpse of our future in his resurrection. The end of time, which we patiently wait for, breaks into our present and sets off this sequence of events. It sets off the the end of days, the last days. And so through Jesus' resurrection, we get a glimpse of what our future will be like, what our bodies will be like, what it will be like on that last day when all the enemies have been defeated, when every other dominion and power and authority has been destroyed, when death itself is destroyed and when it gives way to victory, when Jesus hands the kingdom to the Father and everything in creation is subject to him so that he might have the supremacy over all things and so that everything might be put right and made as it's meant to be. All of Christianity balances on this one idea that we believe in a God who raises the dead and that he's proven this power by raising Jesus from the dead. This is the belief that sustained Abraham even when he took his son Isaac up onto the mountain. When God told him to sacrifice his son, he didn't know how or why or what God was doing, but he trusted in God because he knew that even if his son was to die, that he worshipped the God who could raise even the dead. In Hebrews 11:19, we read, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. And this belief is what sustained Paul throughout his ministry also. Despite persecution and great suffering, being flogged and beaten, when he even despaired of life itself, he knew that if he died for the sake of the gospel, that God would raise him to new life, to eternal life. In 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 8 to 10, we read this, For we do, we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, for the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Paul's hope and assurance is not that the suffering of this life would be less, not that life would be better for him, but that God would deliver him through death unto eternal life. And this belief can sustain you and I also. When it all seems too much to bear, when the pain is too great, when nothing seems to give you that rest, that satisfaction that you're looking for, we have hope that one day we will be saved, we will be delivered through death into new life. But for now we wait, believing that God will do what he has promised, knowing that he is faithful as he has proven himself to be in raising Jesus from the dead. So what is your worst case scenario? Losing your job, failing 
a class failing an exam, being rejected, losing your children, death. The good news is that God raises the dead. He's proven this by raising Jesus, the first fruits of our resurrection. So if the worst case scenario occurs, all is not lost. But God has not abandoned you. For the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit resides within you who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. Praise be to God. Let me pray. Dear gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God of the living and the dead. That we don't have to worry about anything, about the future, about the present. For we know that you'll one day raise us up to be with you. Help us to be patient as we wait for that day. As this life uh, is troublesome and as we wait for that future day, help us to trust in you. Remind us that you are God and that we are not, that you're in control and that we have hope because Jesus has been raised from the dead. All this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.